0: Welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness, amongst the mess and amongst the uncertainty of life. This episode today was recorded towards the end of last year, 2019, and I sat on it waiting for the right time to launch it, to give it the reverence that it needed. And then our world changed in a global pandemic heat and it almost felt like it was too far away from the conversation for it to still be relevant that was until I listened to the recording again last week and I realised that this conversation about creativity and survival in workplaces is perhaps more relevant in the current environment than it ever was before. So I needed to bring it to you. As you listen, understand that our conversation was pre-COVID-19 so we talk a little bit about conferences and workplace sessions which obviously haven't been part of our world for the past few months. But connection to creativity is key. And if you are after a breath of fresh air, then follow today's guest and join him on his open mic sessions, which can be found in all the places that he hangs out. Creativity is now the strongest economic currency in the world of work, and Michael Dixon helps people and organisations rediscover their creative potential, reclaim their creative confidence, and redefine their value as creative leaders. A jazz musician by trade with an unconventional career path, Michael Dixon was awarded Australia's Breakthrough Speaker of the Year in 2018. Known for bringing with him a grand piano and a backing band, Michael calls all of us to step into our creativity. Which sounds good, right? But how the hell do we do this? Well, we combine intuition with conviction. We follow what draws us and we commit to the action of sharing this. It's these two factors that have held Michael in good stead across his career. As we sat down for this conversation, Michael jumped up and grabbed a nearby guitar to have with him in the studio. And what you'll hear is that there is music woven into this chat. And it became a beautiful reflection of what can be described as almost the life question that he sits in, which is, what if we just played? Michael was a big catalyst for this podcast commencing back in 2016 and it's actually his creation in music that you will hear as the intro and the outro of Stand Out Life podcast. So it is inevitable that one day I was going to get him into a studio for a chat. This conversation is the permission for you to create, to share relentlessly and to weave the parts of you into your world. Soak up the beautiful creative expression that oozes out of Michael Dixon. Michael, great to be sitting down with you in studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have high anticipation for what's about to unfold.
1: Wow. Well, I have a massive intention that I'm going to destroy all those expectations (laughs) and disappoint with my fullest self expression.
0: (laughs) I dare you to. I absolutely dare you to. I'll see what will happen in this. (laughs) How's that? When you bring a muso in and they find a guitar, guess what happens?
1: (laughs) But I've been told specifically to be very nice to that lovely maiden that's sitting to my right for the Mm. listeners at home, a beautiful acoustic guitar. And I tend to find this a lot, Ali, when I do gigs and stuff, which I'm sure we'll cover later on in this uh, award-winning episode. Whenever I see a piano sitting there in, in a venue or a hotel and it's dusty... And quite often, it will say, um, "Please do not touch," which to me or any musician except basically says, "Yeah, except you." Yeah, that's how it. Except was, if you I have talent, it. exactly. <laughs> and you got to play it. If you see an instrument, you know, sitting there leaning up against the wall or tucked in the back corner of um, of anywhere, why have one unless you get it? You know, enable it to sing, and. Um, that's what we're doing today. We're going to play this guitar at some
0: mm, point. I'm going to come back to a bit of that sense of you've got to play because I think that's probably a bit of a mm. big cool thread. But I'm going to start by painting a bit of a picture for the listeners. So I want you to picture um, a conference of, say, engineers or accountants. And it's a typical annual conference. The CEO's got up on stage and given his address with uh, Death by PowerPoint The CFO's gone up and done basically the same with a few different numbers and the CMO's got up and done the same. Hmm. And then the MC for the day welcomes to stage a jazz musician as a grand piano is wheeled onto stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy, Michael Dixon, comes out and rocks the joint of engineers and accountants. Mm -hmm. It feels like oil and water. Mm -hmm. It feels like those things don't go together. How did you get to the place where you are the fellow who turns up at these conferences with the music, with the things that you just have to play, Mm. and have an impact on that?
1: Mm. Ah, the career path, the unconventional career path. So yeah, muso by trade, uh, have always always been in the arts entertainment sector in some way. And through the mystical dance of choice and chance, have arrived at this place now where I where I lead offsites and design leadership programs and do keynotes and, and conference interactive conference experiences. How did I get there? It's a very mystical, deep question, if we want to go straight into that, uh, to think about how do we get anywhere. It is, I would have to say that intuition and conviction has played a powerful role in my life. And I, I still am not sure... Who to give credit to that for? But I certainly don't feel that I can take credit for it. I feel like they're, Should I go a bit? Woo-woo? Totally, straight totally. up. Yeah, we're you you know listeners up for that. into that. You totally. <laughs> Great. I'm up for that. So there's some there's some universal connectedness that I feel, that I feel is pulling me and pushing me in the direction that I need to go. And the more I trust that uh and surrender to it despite what the rational logical linear mind brain might be telling me or even a world a rational logical world might be saying there's just something else in there that always seems to it's it's almost if i was to give it a name it would be why not Mm -hmm. it's just this little why not voice going yeah but why not that why not that why not that and Through that, yeah, it's been quite a.
0: Has that been a thread for you, even growing up as a kid? There was a sense of, and where did do you have a sense of where that even came from? In that, this is the part. This is the. I'm
1: not sure. This is kind of where I'm getting a bit kooky. Is I'm not even sure it was a significant thing that happened in my lifetime, Hmm. because it was very early on. There's a there's an emperor. It's the kid from the emperor's new clothes. Hmm. It's calling things out. I remember being even in primary school and seeing a teacher you know, call another kid out and tell them off. But I saw what was playing out and I would question them in year five and year six. Hang on, they didn't do that. Why are you blah, 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 blah? And so then I'd get in trouble for mm. it. But it was just this this um, deep obsession with, with questioning the status quo, with questioning the establishment, the institutions, the way things are done that has um, now turned out to be a career. <laughs> which were is there, bizarre.
0: Were there people in your world who were um, role modeling that Shake or showing that, that?
1: absolutely. So yeah. my probably my third or fourth piano teacher was a guy called Kim Perling and he was the first ever Vietnamese baby adopted by Australian parents. It was the priest the pastor at my school they adopted him um, you know lost his parents in the in Vietnam and all of that stuff flown out turns out he was just born to play the piano. A, a genius a an absolute you know prodigy classical and then jazz and in Adelaide at the time this is mid '90s, early mid '90s, even late '90s. He was the guy. He was the coolest guy in town. He had every cool gig, and he'd play late till two a.m. on a Thursday night. And my folks would let me go to these gigs on um, on weeknights in school and stuff like that. But lessons with him were never about playing what's on the page. It was about what does music mean to you, and who do you get to be when you're around music, and it wasn't just. Uh, it wasn't yeah. Just working on scales and arpeggios and playing the instrument. You it mean w-
0: like the rest of us? I yeah. <laughs> it, it was this style.
1: It was a vibe, and wow. so he would take me. I would go for a half-hour lesson.
0: And how old were you at this stage? Eleven,
1: twelve, 12, yeah, okay. up to seventeen, eighteen. He yeah. then went to Vegas. Uh, eighteen, nineteen, I think I was. So but yeah, but I remember yeah, twelve, thirteen, and I'd go for a half-hour lesson, and I would. We'd leave campus, leave the school, because he had a little Fiat that he would drive that I ended up buying from him, um, and we'd go on photocopy charts for a gig that night. He'd teach me how to talk to girls. He'd teach me how to, how to book gigs and how to, how to listen to what's not being played and, and the relationships between musicians on stage and how that translates off stage and all of these so much more than mm-hmm. music. So music became a way of life. Or the arts became a way of life. This whole approach, which was very much—and I tell you, this is this will sum up the story of of this, um you know, going working against the establishment. We'd sit at the traffic lights in Adelaide CBD, not as big as Melbourne and Sydney, but hey, it's a CBD. <laughs> and uh, you know, just before, so the other other traffickers, you know, you're i don't know how to say it—you're stopped at a red light and you're going to turn right in front of other traffic. And the other, you know, T-bar, I can't explain it for listeners at home, but the other (laughs) traffic's going. Yes. And just before your little red light turns green, so all cars at the intersection are stopped, just before oncoming traffic is going to take off and go green light, Kim would just whack it in first and quickly cut across traffic. So completely breaking the rules. Mm. Dangerous, sure. But it was just like, nah, that's an opportunity I'm going to take it. Everyone else is so playing by the rules. Why? And it's moments like that that have stuck with me, and and they've just been amplified over time. You know, you, you, there's that confirmation bias where you look. Mm. I look for people like that. I I live for people like that. I want more of him in my life.
0: I can almost imagine the the 12 year old uh, or the you know 13, 14 year old that kind of looks up to. This could be the one person who's breaking, not the only one, but the you know, we think of adults and authority at that age as, you know, the rule keepers and mm-hmm. they're the ones that keep us in and, and as you get into your teenage years, the whole part of teenage years is experimenting and pushing boundaries and, mm-hmm. and trying to figure that side of things out. That that this was almost an identity, of mm-hmm. someone, an invitation to go, Oh, okay.
1: hundred percent. And if there was a for any parents listening, if they're, they're interested in getting their kids into music or the arts or dance or theatre, which I I could not recommend that more to be set up for the future of work, to be to have the skills, the mindsets, behaviours to prepare them for this this bizarre world we're moving into, find them a teacher that is more than just music, or find them a teacher that's more than just dance that embodies the lifestyle of that artistic pursuit because your kid will want to be like them, will want to emulate them. Uh, they'll be more of a mentor and a role model and keep them practicing through G major seven chord arpeggios, blah, 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 all the boring stuff because they'll just want to be like them. Whereas if it's just a teacher that's going through the motions, no disrespect to them, we've all got to pay mortgages and stuff like that, but, but the teacher plays such a pivotal role in, um, in all things in life, but particularly kids in the arts. If you want them to play violin, you want them to play keys, guitar, whatever it is. Find them a teacher that that cares, and that is a little bit rock and roll. And yeah. it's
0: so interesting to me to kind of think about what is sitting around the lessons that are around the lesson. So mm-hmm. it's as you, you're almost describing. It's beyond the half an hour. It's mm-hmm. actually the being able to see that world how it how it unpacks, how we interact, how gigs are happen, how early yep. you need to be there, early to set up to what happens afterwards. Yeah, how payment happens, all of that.
1: If I, and if I didn't, I don't, we can keep jamming mm. on this for a bit. If I didn't practice, I remember he would go, "No, nah, that's it. I'm not going to waste my time on this. Let's go and bake a cake. Let's go. Like I, have got stuff I need to do. So I, I'm watching. it. Maybe it's after school now. Your mum's not coming to pick you up for another 50 minutes. Well, I'm not going to waste my time because you didn't practice during the week. What I, what we, you know, agreed to. So you're going to have to follow along and do that. And even that, there was an accountability there.
0: Did you have to do that? Did you follow through? 100%. Like there was so (laughs) many times
1: that that I didn't get a lesson, which was such a powerful lesson. Yeah. So then think about how, you know, in organizations, do we hold people to account if they show up to a meeting or an offsite or, or they haven't delivered in some particular way on the agreed outcomes? Uh, it's not about punishment, but it's just about saying, well, there's got to be some accountability to this mm. and the impact of that. So why are we going to go through this again? Why are we going to waste our time? I'm moving on and you can come with or you can go and do the work now. And even sometimes he would leave me to practice in the room and he'd take off and he, was, he actually had a girl that he was seeing, I remember, for a year or two in one part, and they'd be making out in the next room. <laughs> well, you're doing your practice. while I'm <laughs> practicing, you know, and it was just like, Damn. I got to practice more because I want to, you know, yeah, be around that. It's yeah,
0: cool. what a lesson! Lesson along Powerful. the way. Yeah, so obviously, music became exploded and became a big part of your world. Was there ever a thought of anything else?
1: Yeah, so music was still just. I think I made music more than it probably uh, was needed to be, in a funny way, because it was really music was a tool or a platform for me from state change from enabling people to move from A to B and whatever that was. Always had a deep fascination for people and for transformation. My own and then those around me and then communities, global community. Both my parents were facilitators and Dad was the CEO in government for years. Mum was doing leadership training and consulting for many years. So the Peter Senge books and Otto Sharma and Meg Wheatley and these books were lying around that I would flicked through as a teen. Mm-hmm. So there was that in the background. I never thought that I would arrive at this place. That's the beautiful irony of I'll be nothing like my parents and then end up being exactly <laughs> like them. It's somehow woven in yeah. <laughs> while you were sleeping. So, by design. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then I, the gigs that I would do, I, you know, I wanted to be famous for a long time and I would try to um, be more like a conventional band or an artist, but I would just run these events that were essentially about transformation. It was about experience. It was about immersing people in a journey whether that just is a four-hour gig or whether that was like a a tour or a festival or I was a busker for a year and just purely made money on the street. Um, But it's always been about how can we take people, someone, that, for example, someone's walking along the street, they got somewhere to go. Uh, The last thing they need is to stop and listen to you. But if you can create an atmosphere and an environment where they go, you know what? I don't need to be anywhere but right here. And then you can create an atmosphere and environment where they're like, I don't need to be anyone except going beyond standing here passively listening to now I'm dancing on the middle of Swanson Street or, you know, in Sydney, Darling Hub, wherever it was. And and cutting loose at 4 p.m. on a Thursday and the sun's still up and I haven't even had a drink and I'm with strangers and there's literally a dance party. Like that's... How cool is that?
0: It's extraordinary to kind of think Live of how do you create that environment? How do you actually invite people? As you say, there's there's no reason to be there. There's no mm-hmm. reason to move, let alone that that next step of actually going, that was so good, here's some money for it, to yep. actually then yep. give of myself time and um, financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a huge and That's a good I like what you
1: just said there. There's no reason to do that. Yeah. Um, because it's almost it's giving people a reason so that they, they hadn't considered that there might be a reason for them to stop and do something beyond themselves. But if you can create a space where they become present to a new set of reasons, a new set of choices that weren't they didn't have access to before, they didn't know were there. It's almost like revealing for them, hey, did you know that you could do this, 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 this or this? When? Right now. Damn, I did not know that. And now I know that, well, there's another choice I get to make. Do I want to go further into this? Do I want to blow off that, that the the next I'll get the next train? Yes. Do I want to, you know what, we'll get the next client? Or that session we've got after lunch, finance, that doesn't matter right now because we're getting to some really good conversation around customer centricity or whatever it is or let's blow out the schedule. Let's keep following this or let's cut the schedule End it and move to something else. You know, like really being
0: present, asking yeah, the question "What if?" It kind of comes back to that. Yep. Proactive.
1: Yeah, proactive intuition and conviction. That seems to be another thread that that uh, is coming up now.
0: Yeah, powerful.
1: Yep. It's a powerful dynamic if you are, if you can listen and engage with that intuitive voice, that is all about emergence. But then you have the courage and the conviction to go. I'm listening to it and I'm going to act on it. That's a powerful set of tools.
0: It's the combination of those because often I think we have it. We the we talk about intuition and and following that gut instinct or, or yeah, being in the moment, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily coupled with what's the commitment to action. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do something about it? And, yeah. And for the bits that I've followed around kind of your career, and that's something that you actually pull someone. Pull people towards is the combination of the two, and actually both are mm. required. Mm. You can't just follow the instinct and then not have a commitment to it, because mm. or intuition, because it it just goes nowhere, or nothing's done, or no one's ever get a chance to experience it, see it, um, yeah. move through it. But then commitment to action without it. Mm is just the same, mm. of what we've always mm-hmm. kind of done. And you were saying that's been a bit of a common thread for you. Now, I understand, like through the busking, you've also spent some time in Thailand, so you're running Cambodia. a... Cambodia. In Cambodia. Yeah. yeah. You're running a bar there. I um, You... And tell me if I'm right, whether you've spent a year where every, every day of the year you wrote a song?
1: Uh, it was a week. A week. Every week. Yeah. Yeah, so bought a beach bar in Cambodia, built a guest house... And a Mexican restaurant, which was uh, just you know ten meters from the water, idyllic, classic um, again coming this is intuition and conviction, so arrived at this beach by accident, went to India for seven months, had plans to move to Berlin, start an underground dance band, electronic, and live in a basement you know for five years, doing festivals, playing at four am never got there, went back to Southeast Asia, ended up in Cambodia, bought this beach bar, was on the beach, and it was quite um, Again, just choice and chance. It was just fortunate to be in that place. Something something intuitively was saying there's something here and then having the conviction, the courage to go, let's just do it. Life savings on the line. Corrupt country. No security. Ridiculous.
0: Sounds perfect. Yeah, it was <laughs> No,
1: obviously not at all. Bizarre. And amazing and awesome and, it, you know, it was an incredible yeah. experience. Then the year after that, so we sold that bar and then I built a geodesic dome, a little dome house, I got a patch of land further down the beach. It was a little jungle and and lived alone with my two dogs and a few rice farmers and water buffalo for another year. And in that year, I created. I just tried to create as much as I could. I wrote a musical. I wrote lots of poems and stories and did yoga. But there was something missing in that. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. It was like, wow, I've finally got an opportunity. I'm away from everything to do everything that you say if only I had a year. I had it. I had a year. And yet I didn't do everything and it it wasn't enough and something didn't feel right. And it was at that moment I realised, wow, I'm not sharing anything. Mm. I'm all just writing it for a hard drive. And it's all safe and it's all tucked away in a journal somewhere. And I'm literally living on an isolated stretch of the Cambodian coastline. So there might have been a few guys running around with machetes late at night and some dangerous things happening. But in another way, I I was completely safe. I wasn't at risk uh emotionally, I wasn't at risk psychologically by putting out any of my work. It would all just live on this tiny little Cambodian dome in the middle of nowhere, you know?
0: <laughs> so creativity that's, that's not shared, that doesn't go out.
1: Yeah. It doesn't have value. Where does that value. leave? Yeah. yeah it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't add value to the world, but it doesn't help you. There was um, – I'm trying to get back into Instagram at the moment. It's That's another whole conversation. Let's not go there. But I did write the other day. Um, I, I share myself to know and grow myself. Mm. That's one of those little quote things that you do. Uh, and really that, that piece around just be – don't worry about what everyone else thinks. And this ties back into writing a song a week for a year and then a spoken word piece a week for a year and then wrote a book in 50 days and all these different things. You've got to share it. You've got to publish. You've got to finish. You've got to get it out, because it. You don't get the lesson. You don't get the growth unless you do. It's a. It's the book that's you never quite finish writing. It's the album you never quite finish recording. It's. But then it's the you that you never evolve beyond. Uh, if you're always still writing it, if you're always still creating, yeah. Just a few more tweaks. Just a few more tweaks. You never get to. Level up, and you don't
0: grow. You don't understand. You don't get to tune into yourself. And it's fascinating that you actually pulled out that quote because it was I've I've done exactly the same in my list of questions. And the thing that resonated with me around that was, we creativity is only the first step, Mm -hmm. Um, but the second step is to be seen and to. And that being seen is not only, it's not just for others. It's not about the gratuity of that, but it's the sense of we learn along the way mm. um, and learning to be seen mm. as a, as an artist, but yeah. also as a human being. Um, Cause we'll get in a moment, you believe that everyone's an artist, but many people mm-hmm. will go, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, but any way that you are being seen is any time that you are sharing things with, with other people Mm. is there any part of that because it's something that you've done as a musician on stage um through poetry through books that you've written Mm. like you've you've kind of engineered it but you've sort of almost crafted i had a year where i didn't and and had that realization is there any part of that being seen that sits uncomfortably for
1: you god all of it (laughs) hate it despise being seen and every, you know everyone knows this stuff, that we're all going through this dance between um, knowing that it makes a difference, knowing that it's, it can be quite fulfilling and it can be energizing and you're up there on stage or even in, in a conversation where you need to step up and lead and guide it, whatever it is, whenever you're, it feels as though you're at risk or you're vulnerable, there is this invigorating, um, yeah, energizing kind of essence that comes through. It's like, Wow. I'm here. I'm there. People are looking at me. It's happening, but at the same time, preempting that or sometimes post that, terrifying, mm. debilitating, um, exhausting. I think I'm getting much better at it. I used to do keynotes or, or events and gigs and stuff, and and f- half an hour, forty minutes after the close, headache, energy low, couldn't talk to anyone, and that's where you got to go schmooze and network and do all that stuff. And I was like, I just got to get out of here. Take four Panadol. Help, but now I've got much better at managing that energy and that you know not getting so worked up.
0: Mm-hmm. What's shifted and changed? I think
1: in that? A, a far deeper. I don't. I never like saying purpose because it's just so overdone. <laughs> but I don't. It's. It just doesn't matter anymore. Okay, how would I give this more context? I've been. I'm going to have a chord for this one. Actually, maybe this is a better chord.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Um I've been humiliated more than most people. I've been like profoundly uh ostracized and made fun of and kicked out of the tribe and and used as an example and thrown under a bus and and uh just vulnerable to the point of I can't do this anymore, and then I have done it again, mm. and I have and I have and I have and I think over time the residue of that has now just uh, where when I fall it's actually quite i'm still quite high does that make yeah. sense like I, I'm yeah. not falling all the way to the ground anymore there's enough there's enough pain and scars and wounds yeah that that When I fall, it's like, oh, it's just almost a gentle nudge. And then I'm pushed back up by, hey, dude, this isn't that bad. You've been through worse. Yeah. You know, so which is kind of funny advising people. If if someone said, oh, what's some advice you would give to feel more confident on stage? Go out there and suck as much as you can.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Fail as often as
1: you can. And and I mean really fail. Like blow it. Just and decide that you are never going to do it again. And then give yourself however long you need. And then do it again. And then. I'm never doing that again. I just can't, t- you know, I can't show my face. Uh, yep, and then show your face.
0: And realise it's okay. Yeah. And people around you, it's okay. And yeah. again, even sitting here talking, I can almost feel my heart racing going, yeah, that all sounds good, but how might I just fail in front of 10 people? Oh, like, God. would that be okay? Yeah. Or can I just do it like, you know... But like a pretty good failure, would that be all right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I could see you going, no way. Oh, I've got <laughs> Proof some, it some
1: absolute clangers that, that you're like, I, there's no way I can come back from that. I did one of my the first ever leadership sessions I did. So there was, 16, there was 15 men and one woman in a room and they're all senior leaders. And the guy that organized it to come along, it was like a four hour session. And I was, you know, racing through all my content and trying to, you know, da 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 da. And I'm, I was using the arts as a metaphor, and I was talking about poetry. And at this point, I, um, the guy that booked me, the the most senior leader in the room, throws his arms, or crosses his arm and throws, leans back on his seat and goes, "Ah, you lost me. Poetry. What's the what's the point in that? You know, I mean, I can listen to all this stuff, but how is that relevant in any way to what we're talking about?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." Sure, um, cool. Moving on, you know this is yeah. my fourth gig, yeah, and it's senior leaders, and I'm terrified, and I've never worked yeah. in a corporate, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa!
0: Can we just break now, and we'll come back in an hour while I get my shit together, basically.
1: But that, and that was 45 minutes into a four-hour session, yeah. And then this keeps going, and so after a break, and we keep. I, I think oh, I'll lighten the load a bit. I'll, I'll have some fun with it, and I go to draw a Venn diagram on the on the whiteboard. And I say, oh, actually, Dave, do you want to maybe write a a haiku, maybe a poem of what you see in those shapes? Maybe let's get a bit abstract. A room, the room erupts in laughter. Ah, this is great. Ha, ha, ha. He gets, you know, even more fiery. Yeah, you know what? I fucking will. Comes to the front of the room, grabs the marker and writes in each of the three circles of the Venn diagram, go fuck yourself. Wow. And uh, and and the whole room there's that wonderful tension of your move, Mike. What now? And this is a senior leader, very you know traditional. And this is the guy that booked me. Yeah. Basically saying, I am here to destroy you right now, my friend. <laughs> Even I'm holding my breath. <laughs> yeah. And it was God. just like ha ha ha, you know. So I laugh, and then everyone laughs, and we all laugh, and we go through ha, ha yeah. We get through it, and cool. Somehow I get through it. And I've still got an hour and a half to go and I'm just swallowing this whatever, whatever, whatever. Comes to the end of it, I have to do the little schmoo things. Okay, cool, mm mm-hmm. yep, get in the cab, go to the airport, get on a flight, and just as I'm about to fly as a delayed flight. One last little look at the phone. There's a, like a, I have, you have to scroll about eight times with your little finger, this is how long the email was, of everything that was wrong with my presentation that this guy sent me.
0: Wasted no time. Well, it was like, wow,
1: this really struck a nerve for you. Mm. And I think just being on that flight and taking that in and then by the time I landed, I thought, well, you know what? Like he took the time to write that. So that's kind of generous. And I obviously hit some nerve and some trigger. So you could think there's power in that. And then it turns out, oh, he was um, a writer. He wanted to write fiction. He was halfway through his book. So I think he thought he was the kind of creative guru guy of that group and that some charge came up for him, whatever. Yes. Yeah. But I, I was the catalyst for, I would hope, some kind of transformation again yeah. in him. I didn't know it. Uh, it wasn't my intention. But, but having to wear that, wear the shame and wear the... And then having a flight to basically, you know, in my head pull it apart and go, you know what? It's, it's not about me. It's just not about me.
0: Did you arrive um, at that point before you landed, like on the Kinda,
1: plane? Yeah, it was, I, I like to set little, you know, um, what would you call them? Psychological thresholds, yeah. where it's like, okay, by the time I land. I'm gonna make this decision. I'm in or I'm out. Yeah. When I bought the bar, we walked up. We, I drew a line on the beach. It was with my ex-girlfriend. I Drew a line, and okay, we're gonna to walk to the end of the beach. We walk back, and when we cross this line, we're gonna. That's when we make our decision. So psychological
0: thresholds. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So whatever it is, whatever, whether it's a and it you know heightened can be excitement or the pit of despair yeah. you have just <laughs> described. Uh, uh, of what might be that, that threshold what yeah. might be, cause I'm always thinking, um, sometimes getting on a plane is a beautiful way to get away from it for an hour or two. Yep. And so if you didn't have that, where might someone create a, uh, essentially an airplane timeout mm-hmm. equivalent mm-hmm. to be able to go through what you went through in that, mm. that moment.
1: Something about movement too. So I moved to Geelong a year ago and we love it. And it's just it's community and it's everything that you think when you move out of a big city. But I get the train in whenever there's work in Melbourne. I have meetings and stuff like that. And there's an hour where you've got the big country seats so they're quite comfy and you're looking out and it's just desolate plains. And, and there's something about that little capsule where you're moving through space and time but you can reflect and dream. You can have a little nap. You might flick through, you know, a book, or a Kindle or something. It's so powerful. Like it's so nourishing, and it's such a a a generative space for your humanity. You know, to deal with this, the pace of life, and all of the, the this endless to-do lists and the madness that is yeah modern life to be able to have a little moment that is quite nostalgic almost. It's a throwback to years time gone by mm-hmm. where you're not at the mercy of alerts and phones and emails and people and you're just kind of like, cool, yeah, I'm just on a train dreaming and looking out the window. That deserves a chord, doesn't it?
0: That totally deserves a chord.
1: That's a dream chord.
0: Mm-hmm finding the time to dream to but you can schedule that you can find
1: you have that to schedule it
0: if you're conscious about it yeah it's not waiting for someone else to come and say hey come and jump on this bus or yeah come for a walk around the local park or
1: yeah somewhere you need to so this is a question i have for you right cuz i think about this a lot i can see my business my practice my my career and i'm sure with many of your listeners they they would be in a similar place, where they're pretty good at what they do, and they've, they've found uh, a level of success that maybe five years ago would be, wow, if I get there, I'm, I'm done, I've made it. That's mm. fantastic. Of course, you move the goalposts, I get it. i got two young kids, and one's almost three, Sunny's almost three, and Dusty is one and a half. Both just had hand, foot, and mouth, mind you, so this is kind of very appropriate. But I can see if I... If I said to Kate, my partner, look, let's get a nanny, or let's, um, I need you more full time, we need to get someone else, we need to, I need to lock down. I can see the kids from Saturday morning till midday and Sunday midday till nighttime, but the rest of it we're on because we've got to get ahead. Because if we can do smash this over the next three years, we'll be set up in such a way that then then I can spend more time with mm. the kids, then I can do this, la, 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 la. I know that there are there are, countless opportunities that I'm not getting to because of family constraints and health and joy, you know. Mm. But there's this, wow, there's this carrot dangling. Hey, if you work harder, you can get this and then you can get this and you can get this. But then I have a moment looking at like Dusty where he, you pick him up and the, this massive smile. And you know when they're like that young, they just want to eat your face. Yes. <laughs> like they, just, they actually want to eat your face. Yeah. It's if awesome. Their
0: pupils are dilated. They're just yeah. Cute. And they yes, just open overload. their mouth and they
1: bite your nose and then they bite your chin and they just like, ah, ah, ah. it's just rad. Yeah. And you don't know where their mouth has been. It doesn't matter. It's just like, get them all over me. That's not going to last. Sonny's starting to, you know, we kiss him now and he, gets, he wipes it off, you know? And yeah. it's still cute, but it's yeah. like, oh, leave it on. Leave that kiss on. Because
0: he's 20 more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so there's this, there's a very clear I'm seeing choice that I'm being asked to make daily, quarterly, annually, whatever it is. Do you want what, do you want this promise of more, money uh, prestige do you want to fulfill all your career aspirations do you want the world to put your name in lights do you want more security for your family do you want an investment property or another one whatever it is or do you want more of those moments where your kid is eating your face because you can't have both Mm. Some people might say you can, and you can hack and engineer. And
0: in a moment, there's always a choice. There's a, in in any moment when as you're almost describing that, having picking up your son and having that moment, yep. you're, you're not responding to emails. You're not, yeah, and so I do understand where you go. Well, you can have it all, but there is this dichotomy of I don't think you can doing one of,
1: and I don't think either is right or wrong. Mm. I think that's up to the individual to choose. My personal opinion is I don't think you can have both, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's life. Mm. You can't have day and night. You can have day or night. You like that's just the game. Yeah. The sun is up or the moon is up. Your choice. You want to follow the moon? Go for it. You want mm. to follow the sun? You want both? Stay in the same place. It'll come to you. But you, if you want a career, and and being fully present with your kids, uh, this might be really re- relevant for your listeners. Mm. I don't know. I, I think we're moving to a wonderful. Place now, which is full of irony, but is we've got this heavily automated world. Technology is radically transforming the planet. Any job that will be pro- that's process driven will be automated in some way. So what's left for us? More creative work, which is why I'm I have a lot of work at the moment. But which
0: is why the promise of
1: the promise turn of up, yep. dial
0: up the career. Yeah, you. It's almost. Uh, it's not even a question of, could I make it? You know the buttons to press. You know yeah, what it would take. Exactly. And it's highly likely that would be successful.
1: Yes. Yep. So now you have another choice where, where 100 years ago, 50 years ago, uh, all our experts were saying, oh, it's going to be great when we can automate everything. We'll have three-day working weeks. You know, we'll go to work for four hours, but then the machines will do everything. We'll have more leisure time. The complete opposite is happening. We are working more. And and getting less for what we do uh, than ever before. And we have no leisure time. We have a minister for loneliness in the UK. We have we have a, a, a phenomenal, you know, the biggest killer for men over 35 is not smoking. It's not sitting. It's loneliness. It's mm, isolation. Yeah. It's feeling disconnected from your community because you're working too hard yeah. or you never had time to invest in your relationship with your kids. And now they've outgrown you and all of these different things. So now we're at a point with all this tech and with the world and with money and rah, we're we're being presented with a a choice of like, well, what is really important to you? Mm. And are you willing to say no to that extra zero on the end of your salary or the end of your invoice to be there for what, you know, the other stuff? Might not, that's fine if it's not, but if you want the kid eating your face, if you want to see a few more sunsets and sunrises, if you want want to screw around on a guitar, you know, for four hours on a Sunday... (laughs) Do it yeah, and not like oh well i 've got to do I, I, I can do fifteen minutes a day uh, right after do my mindfulness training, and then i 've got to have my green smoothie i 've got to make sure I have my green smoothie and i 've got to do my gratitude journal and i 've got to do uh, yeah. engineer your way to what
0: yeah you get overwhelmed by by the to what? The rules of how to live a life. And I get confronted by that in the work, even in the work that I do because I know some of that advice or some of that support is stuff that I say to people and <laughs> there is this rebel in me. Yeah. that the moment if I started to engineer it too much, there's the part of this part of our that just goes, oh, fuck that. I'm going to <laughs> go and watch yeah. the sunset or I'm going to go and do something else, which is such a nice kind of counterpoint. To that. Mm-hmm. How, where are you at right at the moment? Because I do agree, it's mm-hmm. a daily choice. I think mm-hmm. it changes, it totally can change next Friday. Mm-hmm. Today, as you sit here, in that which one matters more mm. or which one drives
1: you? So, wh- I think why I've been having the impact I've been having in the business world is because I had so long following uh, what felt right, mm. unconvention, what, you know, spending spending nine hours writing a song, uh, f- eight days in a row. That that has given me skills now that are quite valuable and increasingly relevant. But now I'm finding, uh, as I'm working with bigger organisations and bigger, more high-impact environments, that, um, yeah, I'm now getting asked to be more, can you tone that down or can you, we need to dial this up or rah, 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 rah which has been interesting. I need to kind of reassess who I want to work with. But I'm now seeing the busier I get and the more that I feel this pressure to not conform but to, okay, if I speak more like them and deliver stuff more like them, I'll they'll let me in the next club and yes. the next club and the next club. I'll lose my edge. I will 100% lose the unique value that I have to bring to them. And how I find my edge is by following that intuition with conviction. Yeah. And for me, that is six hours of guitar on a Sunday, yeah. on a Tuesday. Yeah, you know that's me putting out vlogs, which I haven't in a year, where I spend ten hours editing this thing that hundred people might see. Mm-hmm. What are, like, but that's not good ROI, Mike. That doesn't bring you dollars. That doesn't. How is that pushing your business forward? It's fulfilling me. It's making a difference to that. You know, maybe seven of those hundred people that see it. It's um, it's it's shaping who I am. Like mm. it, it, people don't. Let's talk about creativity for a second because it all ties in yep. with this self-expression and where we're going to the choice that we need to make. The choice I believe people need to make more than ever now is to to bring so much conscious effort and courage to re-engaging with. Listening to that, their voice. It, they might, I don't know who I am. No, it's in there. And you've got to find it by doing stuff in action. You find it You know, action precedes clarity, these kind of things. And it's not action in terms of doing more of the stuff you've always done or doing more of the stuff that the person on the app on Instagram tells you to do. It's doing the stuff where you're like, I don't even know if I should be doing this. I don't even know if this is right. I don't even know. I did, just, I, uh, does anyone else, do, who cares, feels kind of okay to me. Feels kind of interesting. There's some. There's something that I'm curiously engaged about this. You'll develop. You'll develop a relationship with you in doing that. And then from that place, you'll start to you'll. The edge that you will have, like the the your unique way of seeing things, your unique way of bringing value to the gaps of your workplace, of your customer base, of your family, community, uh, that's, like, how would you, you will never be out of work. You will never not be needed and required because no one can do what you do. And how you get to the place where no one can do what you do is not by doing what everyone else has done. (laughs) And this is this part where it's like, can you show me how to find my voice? No, that's the best part.
0: Yeah,
1: I can't. I can tell you what I did and you can borrow some of that for a while until you find your own groove with it. But you've got to, you've got to trust yourself, back yourself, make the time for yourself, uh, which, which no one seems to be doing.
0: Because you've had that um, a statement I've heard you say, the future belongs to the artists." Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that, that sense of creativity and, and a big part of your message and going into organisations is saying we can no longer ignore... Artistry and creativity. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's to the peril of your business mm-hmm. if you do. Mm. What do you say to the people who go? But I'm not creative. Mm. That's Great. not so. Me. There's a
1: wonderful uh, a guy called George Land who did a wonderful study. I talk about this in most of the keynotes I do. Wonderful study back in the 60s, and uh, well, it wasn't a study. It was a it was a way to get JFK said we're going to the moon. Everyone went how. They called on George Land to develop a test to devise a test that would find the brightest, boldest minds on the planet, and it was very successful. He, he found, you know, astrophysicists and chemists and, and whatever else, engineers that got us to the moon and back. Phenomenal story with the technology we had then, all that stuff. Uh, after, a few years after, he thought, "Well, this is such a cool." It was the it was the first ever test that, that um, talking about divergent and convergent thinking and and how many ideas you can come up with in a space of time. Blah blah blah. He, he applied the same exact test to a bunch of five-year-olds. And the research came back, wow, 98% of these five-year-olds are equal, on par, exactly the same as these creative geniuses we found at NASA to get us to the moon in the 60s. Incredible. <laughs> Why don't we make that a longitudinal test? Mm-hmm. Check in on the same focus group of kids at 10. Research came back. Now 30%. Huh that's interesting, same focus group of kids at 15, now 12%. Same focus group, now adults, they're 30 years old, same kid, this is everyday people, Not they weren't gifted in any way, this wasn't a special school, uh, at 32%. So we've gone at 5 years old from 98% mm. to then 30, where 2%. What happened at 5? We go to school. The way we educate ourselves and all of this stuff. But but he went on to say like this research was conclusive in what it proved in that non-creative behavior is learned, so we are biologically physiologically designed to create. That is why we've got the world we've got. Uh, out of all the other mammals and animals on this planet, we have an ability to go. Hmm, what would happen if I blah? Why don't we blah? Maybe if I smash that together and grab that and mm, it's not enough. I just it's it's in us. We want to change things. We want to grow them, build them, paint them, color them, shape them. You are born to be creative, but you've just had it schooled out of you. And you've been, you've been pushed into whatever stream, whatever line of work you're in, whatever industry that carries with it a heavy narrative. So you were talking before about doing these conferences. I'll do a lot, of, a lot of work in the finance industry. I'll work with auditors or i work with accountants or, or whoever. And having them over a course of either, you know, a few hours or a few days through this process of, of realizing you don't have to live inside of that narrative. That's been thrust upon you. You get a choice in, in what you want to write about who you are. You get to architect the story and that the liberation they feel and the, what I find is fascinating. I do a lot of stuff. We have short film festivals. I get them to make films and we do, you know, battle of the bands. We do all this stuff and when I, surprisingly but kind of not surprisingly you work with an advertising company or marketing or the creative team nowhere near as bold and vivid and hilarious as the creations of the accounting team or the admin team finance department mm-hmm. IT they are they it's like they've been given license and they've got years stored this. up oh, <laughs> ready unbridled to
0: go. almost feel like that's a study in its itself My that would God. be fascinating to package up
1: just a, a technicolor expression just waiting to come out when they feel safe enough when they've been given the right context to do this in and then once that happens you can say to people see proven done you've got there's no reasonable argument there's no rational logical way you can talk yourself out of the premise that you're, you are creative, that you have artistry in you. You just haven't been given the opportunity or, or um, a platform, a way in which is, it can come out naturally.
0: Here's the proof. And yeah. you can no longer ignore that proof. Yeah. So the, the beautiful thing that you get to create in that environment is not only an invitation but a catalyzing event through whether it's a conference or mm-hmm. more intimate kind of settings where that, that shift can happen quickly. Yeah. And sometimes aha moments, that's Mm. where it happens. I guess thinking about people listening, Mm -hmm. if they are starting to step into their own creativity or go, Mm -hmm. okay, well, if I am a creative, where do I start? Mm.
1: They'd want to sign up to my newsletter, (laughs) come to my gigs, (laughs) uh, get me into their organisation. Where do you start? You start with what feels good, start with your imagination and... Start with, start with producing something, anything, but shipping it. This is where I like this. This is where my last book it was called Just Do Something, and there's a core premise in it, which is to create something every day for 50 days and share it online. Okay. And because of that daily deadline, um, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be good. It's going to be probably pretty crap, but it's going to force you to have to overcome what are people going to think of this? Because that's stopping us most of the time. When yeah. when you're when you're out of flow with your creativity, or you haven't you haven't had access to it for a number of years in your role, in your life, whatever. Um, the biggest hurdle straight up is what will people think? I'm not very good. My sister's the creative one. All of this stuff. So so all the research in the world um, telling you no, you were born to create makes no difference if you're stuck behind. But what are they going to think? Well, they'll judge me. Oh. So then, I like to engineer a a you know pressure cooker environment, which is cool. Okay, that's the one thing I'm terrified of. When we had Sunny, uh, my first son, when Kate got pregnant and business, and so she couldn't work and all of this stuff, my skin like blew up like you wouldn't believe. It was just this. It was like a volcano on my face, and I was 35. You know, what is this? I'm not 16. And I speak for a living. Yeah. I'm on stages. You know, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is just, it's just the shame. I didn't want to leave the house. It was just horrible, right? So what did I do in that moment? I went, okay. The last thing I want to do is show myself online. I'm going to do five one-minute videos a day for 50 days, because that is the last thing I want to do. Yeah. I'm so ashamed of my skin and my face. So I'm going to walk into the fire and do exactly what I don't want to do.
0: I love it. I love it. It's like the challenge of what's the thing that's holding you back and do it. But don't just do it once. Do a lot of it. Do a lot of it. Yeah. 50 days.
1: Do it. And then you, you know, very quickly you start, there's the terror and the fear. And then you start realizing, ah, oh, no one cares. Oh, I got three likes. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter if I get three or 300 it's not even about that anymore. And then if it's something you're creating, it's something that you're you're putting your self-expression into, you start... It's just a very gentle process where you start realizing, you know what, it doesn't matter what they think about my work. It, it actually doesn't matter what I think about my work. It doesn't matter what they think about me. It doesn't matter really what I think about me. All that matters is, is this bringing me joy? Is this... Am I am I enjoying this process? Am I what am I? Learning? Am I growing? Am I no? Okay, well, how can I change to like? Oh, I've lost my way here. I want to get back to that feeling when it felt really great, um, and then you just put it out and put it out and put it out, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I look at my life when I when I stop sharing, I and I start then coming up with strategizing a social media campaign and how to best position my brand. Um, I've, I know very quickly. It's like, mm hmm. You're stopped in other areas of your life because you're you're stopping this natural flow of expression. You're trying to over-engineer it. You're trying to position yourself. You're thinking too much about too much head, not enough heart, not enough hands. Intuition, yeah, yeah.
0: Back to that, yeah, EQ. and
1: we, you know, sorry. I'm, I mean, I'm doing a lot of no, talking this is podcast, good. but that's whatever. the point, that's that what is podcast is all about, right? Okay, <laughs> I'll give you a little just to give people a breather. I like that progression. Uh, I completely lost what I was saying, which is so beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah, progression. good. <laughs>
0: to. That once things start to become engineered, and that's and I guess right. that's also like in amongst the busyness, um even for your own practice, your own business, but people listening in amongst the business, you start to engineer and streamline because mm-hmm. like, that's where efficiency is coming to play. Yes. I don't have as much time. I need to actually, I can't sit and look at my inbox for the same amount of time I did when I started my business. Mm-hmm. Because, so I need to streamline that. Yep. Sometimes through that, e- that efficiency and streamlining creativity mm. and expression disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's also the perfect thing to give you the time to... To be creative.
1: The Curse of Efficiency, Ali.
0: Tell me about it, Mike.
1: Well, that's the James Brown chord, by the way, everyone at home. It's very Um So I used to love, well, I write poems, always have, and I centralize my poems, how I write. And then email came along, and email became quite a big part of our lives. And just like you said, the busier you get, your email's start getting shorter. They start getting, the brevity comes in. It starts being just to the point, particularly if you're talking to a CEO, you're talking to a GM, executive director, whatever. They are just, you're lucky if you get 12 words. It's generally their EA that will write mm. for them. The curse of efficiency. My God, it. what we lose by being so sharp and abrasive and I don't have time for that. Just give me the high level. What do I need to know? I'm walking between meetings and I've got a, just give me the top three things that I need to know in this slide deck because I can't really immerse myself into that conversation because I've got 19 that I need to get to in the next two hours. How is, like there is no depth. There is no way for you to sink into any of that, to process it if you're a senior leader, if you're running your own business. There's no way that you're ever going to come up with anything surprising or new or novel that is uniquely beautiful or surprisingly meaningful because you just aren't sinking into it. So Bowie, we all love Bowie, beautiful guy. He was interviewed, um, a a wonderful interview. When he passed, I watched so many interviews of him and the one that stood out, the guy asked him, Bowie, what do you see is the difference between artists and non-artists? He said, there isn't one. Uh, I just think that artists sit with things longer. They're not in a hurry to get to an outcome and so then... That affords them what we perceive to be highly original thought, but they're just they're swirling around. Einstein used to do this; he'd take his time with things. We, we're in such a rush and a hurry. I think of email, right? Going back to that idea where people are so short and abrasive. I write wonderfully long emails, and I center align them, and I do this because because email is quite boring, and I don't. Going back to this origi- our first mm. part of this conversation. Um, I don't want to be told that I can only left align my email. I will central align it. Thank you very much. You can't tell me how I will show up on email. And when I discovered, wow, you can central align, Awesome. So I tried that. Oh, my God, this is so much more meaningful and fulfilling to me because I get to write like how I write poems and have mm. done since I was eight. Cool. So now suddenly email's not a chore. It's this joyful, uh, dynamic environment in Nelly which I get to express myself. Poetic, nearly. 100% and so now when i it's almost a canary in the coal mine when i get emails back saying i think something's wrong with your email oh no cool you're not probably not someone that's going to get my work that's ready to receive it in a way and and enjoy it yeah uh, or get value from it because you're in a rush whereas i get emails back from senior leaders that it's center aligned with color and big bold text and then little text and smiley faces i'm like we're going to get along just fine. Yeah.
0: That's I love that. I always think you've got a category in your businesses for left-aligned. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck, yeah. they're not quite ready they're for me ready. yet. They're not ready. Yeah, it's the canary in the coal mine. That's brilliant. Brilliant, is brilliant find isn't it? of ways um yeah, to get get that poetry back into it. When we talk about creativity um and and bringing that artistry, there can be this sense of Creativity has to come through struggle and torture, mm-hmm. that it has to come through hardship. You have to earn 100%. your creativity. Yeah. do you believe uh, in that struggling artist perspective?
1: I, I do think there's there's opportunities to um, there's opportunities in everything to create from joy, euphoria, you know transformation, growth, fun, possibility. yes, make something with that pain. Um, fear, loneliness, loss, isolation, there's value to be found in that. They're all just, it's a spectrum of lots of different shades, and you can take and draw from whatever. I don't think you need to go through pain, but I think it helps. I don't think you need to have amazing times in your life either, but I think that helps. I think the more that you can draw on anything and everything, the better. But if you want to write a song about heartache, it helps to have had. Yeah, you
0: know what it's like. Yeah. Just so, the that... listeners
1: at home, I brought out my little vlogging camera, and I'm actually filming Ali uh, as she speaks. And she's she's looking pretty good on camera too. <laughs>
0: this is what I should be doing more often, but I love it. I love it. So we'll get to uh, add that add that in as well. That's right. So whilst that that broad, broad spectrum of emotions is is part of it, it's not just you. You don't have to struggle. It's not the only place. But if there is struggle, there can be a way to kind of catalyze it. Yeah. What role does fun, frivolity and, and humor have in creativity and artistry?
1: Humor in uh, humor in business is powerful. I think in fun is yeah, for creativity or creative outcomes, in a business context, in life, in, in creating programs or, or products or services, yeah, it's a powerful. Tool.
0: Where have you seen that work well I guess in the in the work that you do whether it's at conferences or events um, where humor's not necessarily front of mind unless you're booking a comedian mm. um, and in a day and age of political correctness mm-hmm. there can be fear mm-hmm. around we don't want to laugh at things we don't want to because there might be some pushback yeah. On that wherever you say it worked really well How do you tie
1: humanizing it? so I'll be um I'm quite loose in my delivery and that people it you know might be shocking to begin with the first 15 20 minutes they're like well what who is this guy hang on he's our facilitator he's the keynote speaker he's the he's so loose this is not and then and then everyone sinks in and goes okay if he's loose I can be loose." Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'll do naturally, I won't mean to, but I, it just will inevitably happen, is humanizing leadership in some way. Take the piss out of the CEO. Take the piss out of the, uh, out of the, the GM that looks. And you've got to do this respectfully where you're not, you're, you're, it's very subtle, but you're not taking the piss out of them as a human being. You're almost taking the piss out of the role mm-hmm. and what the role means and the meaning that we attach to that role. So you can, so they themselves feel almost um, lifted,
0: heard, understood. Yeah,
1: it's like, oh, there's a human behind the title. Ah, oh, we know Daryl's awesome. We know Sandra's great, and but she has to wear that hat, um, and we all know the burdens and the responsibilities and where are. So it's almost a, a very, an instant humanizer mm. to just be, guys. We can't take ourselves so seriously here. This is not. I mean, and even if we work curing cancer, even that you got to have joy with it. You've got to you got to have fun with it. You've got to. It's a resilience, well-being piece. If you're not laughing occasionally, if you're not having a giggle, I, mean, I thought it was really powerful that guy. There was a show on TV called Taboo, and he yes. um, he was making jokes. Uh, he would stay for a week, I think, with with uh, people with mental illness or people that you know have struggled with addiction or whatever it is. Uh, and then make jokes of it. And taboo topics. You're not allowed to talk about that. You're particularly not allowed to uh, laugh about it. And what a what an interesting age we live in of, at the age of offence, where everyone's offended at just about anything and everything. And what does that mean for comedy? Because it's like, well, we're not allowed to say that anymore. And there even got to a point, I know last year, a few comedians were coming out before their show in the States and saying, Hey, guys. Great. Thanks so much for coming, everyone. It's great to see you all, you know, out of character. Um, just before the show begins, just want to let you all know, I'm going to talk about some things tonight. Uh, there's going to be some jokes that are about race. Jokes. So please, you know, rah, 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 rah. Yeah, where's the line if we can't? Um, I don't know. Ugh.
0: I think comedy plays a part in, in us being able to talk about the topics we... That find hard to kind of talk about. And I think exactly. that's the powerful piece that we don't want to um, shift away from. it In organisations, that might just be the change that we're going through or the fact that no one's being honest about mm. how they're feeling or no one's. And that can be the opener, can be through humour. Mm. Um, but I really love that sense of how do we humanise mm. people mm. Mm-hmm through humour, mm. find that pathway back to creativity mm. um, and fun, particularly in the work that we do.
1: So, okay, so we just avoid it at all costs. That's In organisations and in our own lives, um, how, how willing are we to get dangerous? How willing are we just to go, shit? I don't know enough about this. So, you know, we've got the... Um, Uluru statement from mm-hmm. the heart, and mm-hmm. you know the indigenous our, our relationship with the indigenous community in this the First Nations people in this country is poor. It's piss poor, uh, and yet so many I know so many people that that are not First Nations that would love to know more, but but don't know where to start. Don't know where, who to ask. It's like, ugh, I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to. How do I go about that? Mm. How, where do we go? It just feels we so dangerous. We run the dangerous. risk of not even
0: having it at all is the problem.
1: Exactly. Let's just avoid it and someone else can deal with it because it's too hard. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's tricky. I don't yeah. have an answer for that.
0: No, but a call to um, be curious enough and be daring enough to yes. step into the dangerous conversations. And I guess it's, um, you're almost posing the question for people listening, what are the dangerous conversations we're not having? what are the words, what are the space or what would be required for me to ask the question, mm. uh, to invite in, to be really open to be wrong, yes, to, to not get it right.
1: Um, and how can, does humour or fun help in dangerous, you know, I, I think people when they have these near-death experiences uh, or the house is about to burn down or there's, they're not sure if someone's going to find them in the forest and they crack up laughing. It's just like this is ridiculous shit. We're probably going to die, and it's funny. <laughs> How is that funny? It's so inappropriate. Yeah, but it's um, there's I don't a know. connection,
0: and that's where the stories start to unfold. That's where things come into play. I used to work. We used to live up in Darwin, so I used to work out at um, a community out at Tiwi Island, which is just off the the coast of Darwin. And at the time I was doing work helping people getting back into workplaces that had had injuries, so working a lot with the the Indigenous community out at Tiwi Island. Landed one day, it's two parts of the story, landed and the fellow picked me up from Centrelink had a name tag on court and it just said Fonzie. And I just went, how cool is this? And he <laughs> came correct. over to me and he introduced himself and he said, my name's Anthony, but you can call me Fonzie. And I went, how did that get through a federal government department wow. to get a name tag of Fonzie, which was just and he embodied that That's that great. name. I was working with a fellow over there who'd had a motor vehicle accident and he was fine. He'd, he'd sort of injured his ankle, but come out of it okay. Elder, elderly uh, Indigenous fellow and. Um, he was telling me the story of how it happened, and they were coming back from being out all day and yeah. had seen this kangaroo on the road. Uh, and actually swerved to hit it because it was going to be dinner. Mm. Um, and as he did, the actual steering wheel came out of the vehicle and and rolled. So that's where the accident happened. And I'm thinking, how do I write this report back to an insurance company sitting in Sydney CBD who has no idea what this experience is like? Yeah. So there was humour and story yeah. in that that also made it so real yeah. and so humanistic to yeah. go this was the world, this yeah. is that life, and let's actually be invited into that conversation. It's wow. not right, it's not wrong, it just, yeah. it just is what it is. And he went, yeah, we but we ended up getting the kangaroo and had a beautiful feast <laughs> back beautiful with our meal. family. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so to be able to sit at the feet and kind of you know listen to some of these conversations is, is powerful, but it's that permission to step into yeah. The dangerous, I think, which is what you're kind of yeah, inviting yeah. people to do. Yeah. What's your creative process? So so for your own personal enjoyment, like obviously a big part of creativity is your work. Mm-hmm. It's your job. Yeah, uh, Finding ways of expressing or just spending time. What's your creative process?
1: I do like the tools in a funny way. So I, I like, it'll start with a vision. There'll be some... Um, oh, I've got a great idea for a video or I've got a great idea for an activity I want to try on an offsite or I want, I've want i got a great idea for this live show uh, for, for a piece in a keynote or a musical or a whole event, whatever it is there'll be some idea of it and then I'll start playing with whatever tools are around me to make it if it's film cameras and, and laptops and effects and if it's music, if, if it's um, a part of a an offsite, I'll literally play with the people in real time. What about if you stand there? And how about we try this and and that will then inform. You know, there's this this real time feedback loop of like, wow, oh, okay, I should have put that there. Actually, maybe, oh, I didn't realise I could do that. And this this this. uh It's just I just lose hours because I find it so so fulfilling to be, I wonder what would happen if I did that. I wonder, oh, that does that. Hmm, That wasn't very good after all. Maybe I'll go back to the other thing. It's just like testing, trying, testing, trying, just like my kids do. Mm. Dusty's into blocks at the moment. He's building. He makes these amazing structures, like defies gravity. I have 90. How he does (laughs) it? It's that that beginner's (laughs) luck thing. You're like, how did you manage to put that on top of that? But it's so, um, because I'm not worried about an outcome yet. I'm not worried about it being anything yet. The moment that I that the creative process shifts to okay, I'm going to need to publish this that that it's a different process. It's about refinement, but in the beginning it's certainly just it's play, it's play mm-hmm. it's it's what what does this feel like if I do this? Huh that made me feel like that. That might make them feel like that. Hmm, okay, I don't want them to feel like that. Maybe I want them to feel like this. How would I get them to feel like this? well what if what would make me feel like this? Maybe that note, or maybe that color, or maybe that shape, or maybe it's just this thing. But again, it's playing time. feedback loop, and yep. yeah, yeah, it's with play it. and it's time. You got to give it time. Yep. We're in such a hurry. I like, I like the fact. Um, I mean, I think of this in in the health, well-being industry. Six minute abs, and you know, you can ha- eat these protein bars, and nut. Nah, if you just get your three whole meals or two whole f- meal food, whatever they are, a day, eat yeah. some clean veg, a bit of protein, go for a walk, maybe run, maybe do a weight session a couple times a week, just good stuff that we've done for thousands of years, just do that for a couple of years, solid, you'll be fine. Yeah. But to try to get it in this compressed amount of time so that in four weeks you can fit into that dress to go to that event, blah 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 blah. Now, nah, if you really want it to be meaningful, it's a lifestyle change. It's a it's it's going to take time. The same as with creativity, you can't hack your way there. Make it part of your life. Give yourself hours that you you'd be hard to quantify the value, but you could definitely qualify. Like there's a a, a qualitative element to this that you're like God. I... You know, I look back on that year and I think I spent so much time doing X, but it's one of the most joyful years of my life. And I miss, there's something about it I miss and I can't put my finger on it. You know, it's because you were in a flow state probably a lot. You were playing, you were closer to who you are. You know, that's... Um,
0: Feels like playing the long game. Definitely. You kind of said long that, game. Like what's what's the long game? So let me put this to you then in five years time, not interested in what you're doing or what you've achieved or how much you've had your face eaten off <laughs> 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 Hopefully you're still doing it. What what do you want to be feeling? Two thousand and twenty four What does that look like for you?
1: I would wanna be feeling I'd wanna be feeling hmm still restlessly curious i would i would want to be feeling probably a lot more a lot more content with uh okay i got nothing to prove here like i've i've really got nothing to prove i've i want yeah it's amazing how quickly i want to go to i would like to have done mm. Uh, I would like to have done. I would no, no, no. Forget about the done. That wasn't the question. But ah. that's
0: the wrestle, right? Like yeah, it's part wrestle. of the wrestle we were yeah. talking about before. Is the wrestle of what do I want to get done so others can see what I've done versus the moment of being with my child? Yeah, and
1: yeah. What do I want to feel? I want to feel very connected to country, to the planet, to the environment. I want to feel very connected to a community. Uh, wherever we end up living, we're kind of gypsies. But I would like, at some point, to be, to feel really, like, wow, we could be here for a long time, and these are people that that I know and would give my life for, and they would give my life for me. And that's not just family. Like this is, this is a neighbourhood here. I want to feel that sense of community, and I want to feel, I want to, I would want to feel that I am really having an impact. That it is. It's not just um it's not just three likes on Instagram and, and a few off sites and stuff like that. It is I'm a part of something that really is shifting this planet. That th- that we're like, cool. Like I'm glad we didn't touch on climate change today because I could talk about that till the cows come home. <laughs> it keeps me up till three AM. It's a massive part of my life. I think it's a massive part of all of our lives. Uh and I just I w I need to feel like I'm a part of that that movement. It's not just about a mortgage. It's not just about financial security. It's like, now, nah, what good is that stuff when we don't have clean water, when we don't have clean air, we don't have a reliable food source, whatever. So I'd want to feel super connected. I'd want to feel um, to community, to country. I want to feel super um, curious still, inspired, hungry, just like, ah, we can do more, let's create more. And I'd want to feel like I'm having having an impact meaningfully
0: awesome yeah awesome I'm going to come the last question for last you from full circle the name of the podcast oh, yeah, is called Stand Out Life and what listeners don't know is the intro and the mm. outro was actually written by yeah, Michael yes. how was it two years ago three years ago three years ago it must have been yeah mm. so having you with your music in the background is just a beautiful gift uh, to today's episode What does it mean to you to live a standout life?
1: Um, Standout life would be, it's got to be your own. No, standout life for me would be if I had to put it into, I'll put it into three V words. So I would say it's visible, it's vibrant and it's vivid. Visible meaning it stands out, you know, we can see it. Um, actually, you know what, I'm going to take that one away. We don't have to see it. Your standout life is, I would say, it's vivid. It's vivid and it's vibrant. <laughs> what am I saying here? Standout life is that you are, you leave, you, there's a distinct, like, you leave an impression on the world that is a motive. It's like a song. It's like a beautiful chord. You know, you can't unhear it. It's like, wow, that's stunning. That is exactly what that is. You know, there's no confusion. A standout life is not diluted. It's not um, confused. It's really congruent. It's like that. There's an integrity in there. What they say and what they do and who they are is all aligned. That can be anything. That can be a kitsch, fun-loving, you know, with a bubblegum umbrella and, you know, dancing around to K-pop. Or that can be dark, moody, brooding, you know, heavy, internet-driven gamer. Or that can be, uh, you know, athletic, sporty, punchy, fun-loving soccer mum. It can be anything, but it's it should be what it's meant to be or what it wants to be does that make sense
0: mm, the expression of you yeah how oh, that plays
1: yeah the re- just a really clear vivid vibrant expression of the one in 7.8 billion snowflake you are
0: beautiful <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for playing. It's been such a delight, <laughs> no Michael.
1: No Thanks for having me. Loved it's, it. It's awesome. I remember actually, for listeners at home, when Ali first had the idea for this podcast, I did. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Mm. And everyone around Ali was like, Ali, you are going to smash that. Like <laughs> nothing else, you're born for this. <laughs> and what a gift it was that I got to to uh, yeah write that tune.
0: Oh, you were a big part of the catalyst actually yeah. for me to go, yes, just do it, yeah, just get one. it out there, make it happen. So if there's a lesson in that for anyone. Whatever it is that you've got, just get out and make it happen. And who knows? I think we're close to episode eighty.
1: That's awesome. So
0: more to come. More well to done come. to you. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. This is a new intro. You're a legend, buddy. You are. Thank you.